0: on one where it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and it goes on to say how the word became flesh that Jesus is the word made manifest the personification of the word and we're going to get back to that thought in a moment so just kind of put a pin in that and hold on to it in week two we talked about serving in the local church that it isn't just something well I'm going to do it because they need somebody no we serve because God is so good to us. And because God is so good, we say, you know what, I'm not looking for anything out of it. I'm looking for what can I put into it. What can I do to build the kingdom of God? Because if Jesus would go to the cross on my behalf, what can I do to bring others to that cross so that they can meet Jesus, experience Jesus, and have their life set free? So that a spirit-filled disciple, is not a matter of if I serve, it's where am I serving and what do you want me to do, God? In the third week, we looked at worshiping and total freedom, and you just got a little bit of a taste of that. that The idea that when we push into God, that God will equally push back on the us. That if we're not feeling God's presence, then maybe it's about time that we start pushing into God and saying, God, I need you to show up. I need you to do something. I'm just going to worship you even when I don't feel like it. How many of you have had that moment where you're like, I don't really feel like worshiping God. You show up on church on Sunday and like, what am I doing here? I've had those Sunday mornings. I've had those Sunday mornings as the lead pastor of this church of what am I doing? I'm just kind of going through the motions because of how I feel. But at the end of the day, when I don't feel like it, that's the moment where I need to engage with God the most. Amen? we got to last week's message and we talked about the holy spirit and we really kind of dove into this concept of ruach which is the the word for a spirit in the old testament in the hebrew that when it's spoken it engages both the breath and the lungs that jesus is the word but the spirit is the ruach the breath and the action of speaking something into existence that god speaks in the beginning god created by speaking and what did he speak? He spoke the word. What was the word? It was Jesus. And what was the action behind that word? The Holy Spirit moving things into action and changing things. And when we start praying, we start speaking that which God has called us to speak into existence. And all of a sudden, things start changing. Why do we feel so often that, well, I don't know how to pray or I don't want to pray? Do you know where that comes from? It comes from Satan. Let's just call it what it is because Satan doesn't want you praying. Because when all of a sudden you start interlocking with God and praying that which God wants you to pray, and we're going to get to it this morning in the passage, that when we start praying that God's will be done, all of a sudden we start as a mouthpiece of God speaking truth, speaking the word into existence, and then the Holy Spirit can jump into action and things can change. But if Satan can keep you from reading the word, then you don't know what God's will is. And if he can stop you from praying, he can stop you from speaking into existence. But when we start reading and we start speaking, all of a sudden everything can change. And so that's where we're going this morning. We're gonna jump into this passage in a second, but would you repeat after me? Because I fully believe this. When we start vocalizing things that are coming from scripture, it starts coming to life in our lives. So Heavenly Father... Oh, come on. I'm, I'm like up here. I'm going to start, forget coffee. We're going to start serving energy drinks and everybody's got to drink three of them before you come in here. Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. I had a video we are going to play, and I'm skipping the video because I just want to get right into preaching. And I think you're going to get the heart of what the video would have been anyways. So if we're going to study prayer today, we need to look at what Jesus says about it. And thankfully, Jesus gives us an incredible teaching in Matthew chapter 6 about what prayer is and how we're supposed to pray. And we're going to dive into that. But you all know I like biblical context. So I want to set up the biblical context so that we know what came before that prayer in Matthew because I think it's important. So we're going to start by looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And this is immediately following the baptism of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, through this, we can see every single trait of a Spirit-filled disciple that we've already studied, that Jesus, being the personification of the Word, the Word made flesh, is speaking to Satan. Now, you probably have heard it said before that when uh, you feel like a spiritual attack coming up against you and you don't know what to say, just say the name of Jesus. Very valid statement. But I want to take it a step further than that. I don't want you to simply have Jesus as your only vocabulary because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, this is when you say and speak Jesus Christ. When you speak the Word, you're speaking Jesus, and what we see Jesus doing to Satan here is not just saying, Jesus, you got to go. He's saying Scripture. He is directly combating everything that Satan is saying to him by quoting Scripture right back to him, and like, nope, you're wrong because of this, you're wrong because of this, you're wrong because of this, now get out of here. And he starts speaking to his problem, and what is he speaking? He's speaking truth. This isn't that, well, this is how I feel today. Whenever we start using those words, this is how I feel, we're in a very dangerous spot. Because when we say this is how I feel, it's easy for my feelings to be good one day and low the next. And when they're low, all of a sudden I can fail and I can fall. When we look at Jesus in this moment, he has been in the desert. He has been by himself. He has been fasting. He is not eight in 40 days. And what is his go-to? Not how he, he is feeling, but he's going directly to the word and quoting it back at Satan. He's fasting. He's praying. He's worshiping. He's getting into a, that full-on proper relationship with God as he is in his man form so that he can serve humanity. He's not doing this for him. He's doing this for us. He's doing this so that he can prepare to go and do his ministry, eventually going to the cross. And when he goes to the cross and he dies, he does it for you and for me. And then he's resurrected again. And what led him to this moment? This is my my favorite part of this. Go back to the beginning of chapter four. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. He did not go on his own. He didn't do this and say, you know what? I think this is a good idea. I might try this. No, he was led by the Spirit into this entire encounter. So when he goes through that period of fasting, and how many of you know that you've won four hours without eating and you're hungry? It may be like, well, maybe... Eight hours, or maybe four days, 40 days without eating. You could definitely tell he was probably ready to get out of this, but he's saying, "No, I'm going through this moment. I'm going to address Satan. I'm going to put Satan in this place. Satan's going to offer him all this stuff. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows where these next years are going to go. And he still says, "You know what? Satan, go." You have no power, you have no authority. And that when we start looking through all the things that Jesus is going to do, the people that he's going to heal, the people he's going to set free, the the past sin that he's going to break, that bondage, he knows that it's all going to be worth it because of what he's going to go through. And he tells us when he ascends back into heaven, greater things that you will do if you'll follow after me. So for us today, we still have that a power to do incredible things in the name of Jesus if we'll simply study his word and begin to speak it out. So when we go through this, he then calls his disciples, he begins his public ministry, and we see his first substantial recorded teaching that occurs in Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount. In this teaching alone, Jesus lays out everything that we need to know in order to live the Christian life, and then he spends the next three years living it out. He lays it out, and then he lives it out to give us the example for you and I to do the exact same thing. So let's look at it. We're going to break it down very slightly. We're not going to go through all of it, but this is now uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 11, the Beatitudes. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. account. When we start going through that and seeing the ways that we're blessed, it's not like blessed if you have a big bank account, blessed if you have a nice job, blessed if you give high fives to random people. No, it's you're blessed if you do these things and you realize that life isn't going to be easy. Just because you live the Christian life doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy for you. But when you go through it, you know that God is right there on your behalf. And so we see Jesus set it up immediately. It's not just a, let me tell you all the things that you need to do. It's like, hey, life's going to be rough. Get ready. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow after me, this is what it's going to look like. Look back to him in the desert. His, the very first thing that comes up against them is not just like, hey, I fasted for 40 days and everything is going perfect now. Satan attacks him immediately. And so we so often get discouraged when all of a sudden Satan starts attacking us, but we fail to realize the fact that Satan's attacking those who are going to do something good for the kingdom. If you're not ever feeling the effects of Satan and his kingdom, that means you're probably not doing anything for God's kingdom. Let that one sink in for a second. If you say, well, I I never feel any spiritual attacks. Well, are you doing any spiritual attacking? Because if you're not, then why would Satan go after you? Jesus then continues on, and he hits these topics, salt and light. It is up to us to present the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, that Christ came to fulfill the law. He shared what his purpose was, not to be a political leader, not to be what the people wanted, but to fulfill what we couldn't. The anger, that we need to do away with anger and love as God loves us. Lust, very much the same idea with anger, that we need to do away with lust. We need to stop looking at things of I want and start saying, you know what? Let me value that person as a son or a daughter of the almighty king of the universe. I'm going to protect my eyes, myself, and I'm going to protect that person as well. Divorce, that he talks about uh, how he, he does not love divorce, but at the same time, hear this. Just like anything, that there is forgiveness and there is mercy and there is grace. That There's oaths that let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't promise what you can't fulfill. Retaliation, that you should care for others and allow God to take vengeance. That one's got to sink in a little bit. You don't get to take revengeance. It's not yours. Vengeance is the Lord's. That we need to love people. Kind of hear how this topic keeps coming up. Love people. Love people. Love people. Take care of people. Oh, guess what the next topic that Jesus talks about is? Love your enemies. Not talk bad about your enemies. Not gossip about your enemies. Love your enemies. Then he goes on to talk about giving to the needy. And this is in chapter 6. And talking about giving to those that are in need. That's a topic for two weeks from now. We'll dive deep into that. And as Jesus begins going through each and every one of these topics, where does he land next? Prayer. First off, he starts with saying, this is how you live a blessed life. This is what you're called to do. And now let me teach you about how to pray. And I think this is intentional because before we can pray and seek God's will to be done, we need to know what God's will is. And as we start studying those different topics, I mean, each one of those is a message in and of itself. But we begin this process of spending time with Jesus, spending time in the Word, building up this spiritual vocabulary so that when we begin to pray, we can start speaking God's Word into existence. We can start speaking this and saying, you know what, I don't want to just live for myself anymore. I don't want to just live this way. I want to do what God is calling me to do. So that being said, let's get into Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18, and hear what Jesus has to say on the topic. And when you pray... Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I love that Jesus' ministry comes right out of the gate teaching us to love God, to love people, and seek his kingdom. And notice that Jesus makes a very clear distinction that we need to know as spirit-filled disciples. He makes the statement, when you pray and when you fast. For a spirit-filled disciple, fasting and prayer are not options. They're simply not. You don't get to say, you know, I don't really feel like fasting or... It can look different for each person in the room. I'm not calling you to a 40-day fast in the wilderness like Jesus did. But Jesus' words say, when you fast and when you pray, in the same context that it says, when you forgive, that prayer and fasting are not options, that the timing, the style could look different. He doesn't say who you need to pray with, how you need to pray, do you need to do this, do you need to do that. It's when you pray. So it's something that we need to do. And let me just remind you that Thursday is our first uh, Thursday of the month uh, fasting day with the sanctuary open up for prayer in the evenings. Not saying that you have to be here, but I'm saying that it's available. And let me encourage you, fasting supercharges your prayers when we pray, we're speaking out the Word of God into existence. We're speaking so that God can do something in our lives, in our families' lives, in our communities, what God is calling us to pray. And fasting supercharges that because we're getting more and more in tuned with what God's wanting us to do. So that's this Thursday night, that Jesus gives us a plan for prayer. It's not like Jesus just saying, you know what, this is a good thing, you should go do it. He gives us a plan of how to do it. In the first four verses, we discover this plan, and it starts off with this. It starts off with praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That we start by lifting up the name of Jesus and making his name famous. That it's not about me and it's not about you, but it's about an almighty God of the universe that loves you enough that he wants to interact with you. And so often I think we look at it as like, well, I'm afraid of what God's going to say or what God's going to do. And he knows that I messed up. He already knows all those things. God's not surprised by a single thing that you're going to say to him. He just wants to talk with you. Put it in this context that when you say, you know what, I'm just not going to pray because God knows uh, what's going on. And I just don't want to speak with God. You are the three-year-old in the room who just got in trouble and is throwing themselves at a temper tantrum on their bed. And God's right there with you anyways, watching to make sure that you're still breathing and that you don't break anything, and watching you be ridiculous, like hitting your bed and your pillows with your hands and kicking your legs, and is just standing there waiting like, are you done yet? Like, can we talk? (laughs) If you've ever talked with a toddler when they're crying, it's like, I can't understand you. Can you stop whining and crying? I want to help fix your problem. Or an adult who is whining and kicking and screaming, because we still do that too. It's not just a toddler thing. We do it as well. It may just manifest as something different, but when we say, God, you are holy, and you're awesome, and you're incredible. Let me come into the throne room. Let me talk with you, because you want to talk with me. When we have that kind of an attitude, it is amazing watching how things begin shifting in the environment. So next, it's purpose, your kingdom come, that this idea that we are here in the world as Christians, as followers of God's mission, as followers of God's plan, that God has a purpose for each and every one of us in this room. Your purpose is different than my purpose. Your mission different than my mission. By the way, that's the topic for next week is the fact that a spirit-filled disciple learns to identify what their mission is. And as they learn to identify their mission, they go out and do what God calls them to do. Because my job, you've heard me say it all the time, I'm gonna say it until I'm blue in the face. I'm gonna beat the drum for this over and over again. And be, I'll be the broken record. That I want you to realize this. I'm here to help equip you to do what God's called you to do. I'm not here to say, you know what, God gave Pastor Frank a fantastic idea, and because God gave that to him, now i got to make it happen. No, my job is to help Pastor Frank make that happen. My job is to help you accomplish the mission that God has placed on your heart, that I'm not called to do what you're called to do, but I'm called to help you do what you're called to do. So that we can go into all corners of this world and make Jesus Christ famous. So our purpose is to pray that God's kingdom comes. That his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not your will, but his will be done. Then we go into physical needs that give us each day our daily bread. Because each and every one of us know that there's things that we need physically so that we can survive. And then there's moments where I don't know how the, the money is going to come in. I don't know where the next meal is going to come from. I don't know where the, the physical condition, the physical sickness, whatever it is, we're called to pray for those things. So often it's like, well, you know what, I'm just going gonna, gonna to deal with that and we're going to get through it. No, go to God about it. Sometimes God will give you the 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 physical answer for the physical need and sometimes God will give you the supernatural answer for the physical need but if we don't go asking God for it, we're we're not going to see it. So we need to go before God and ask for those physical needs but then realize that it's not just a physical need because this body will eventually die. But we have a spirit amongst us. that It's either going to go to heaven or going to go to hell. So we need the spiritual needs too. Forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. That reminder that I need to go to God and say, you know what God, I am so sorry for what I've done. Would you forgive me? Knowing that he will forget those things. He will forgive me of those things because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus because I'm hidden in Jesus. So he'll forget those things. He won't hold those against me. But as I'm forgiven. I'm called to go and forgive others. See, we're good a lot of times seeking for the forgiveness for ourselves, but we're slow asking for the forgiveness and accepting the forgiveness from somebody else. We need to be intentional about that because as we have our spiritual needs taken care of, we need to hope and pray and seek the spiritual forgiveness for other people as well. And then it goes into protection. And do not bring us into temptation, See, when God calls us to go places and do things, it's going to put us into difficult situations. It's going to put us into dangerous situations. That God, when you call me to go here, God, would you protect me? Would you protect my mind? Would you protect my thoughts? Would you protect my heart? Would you protect me physically so that I'm able to do what you call me to do and accomplish your will? And when we pray like this, we start seeing the fact of, wow, God's will is being done through me. And... This is the amazing thing. As we line up more and more with Jesus, just like Jesus only said and did that which the Father told him to do, we start saying more and more of what uh, what God tells us to do. We leave the old self behind, and we begin speaking and doing that which God calls us to do. We don't become super spiritual in the sense where I'm never going to hang out with that person ever again. There's moments where God will say you need to cut this relationship off for you, but that doesn't mean that you cut off relationships from all sinners. If anything, we need to engage more because when we look at the example of Jesus, who is he most commonly sharing meals with? Sinners. He's doing life with them. He's calling them to a higher level and telling them, go and sin no more. That's the exact model that Jesus is giving for us. So we need to do the same thing. And as we begin speaking and saying and doing that which the Father calls us to speak and say and do, we start realizing that it's beginning to be less of my words and my thoughts and more of his thoughts. And as we start speaking out the word, we start speaking out Jesus. And then all of a sudden, as we speak the word, the, the Holy Spirit jumps into action. When the Holy Spirit jumps into action, this, the room changes, the situation changes, the atmosphere changes. That you walk into a room right now and each and every one of you probably has a different read on the temperature of this room. Some of you are comfortable. Some of you are hot. Some of you are cold and you're being essentially like thermometers of like, this is what I feel in the room, you need to be a spiritual thermostat where you said, you know what, it's not working in here right now. Let me just change up the heat a little bit. Let me warm it up. Let me cool it down. When you are operating in what the Holy Spirit has for you to do, and you're spending time in the Word, and you're spending time in prayer, you are a spiritual thermostat, and you change the atmosphere for the people that you're around. But then here comes the next point. Praying is hard for me. What do I do? How many of you have ever, like, like, be honest with me? How many of you have ever had the thought that praying is really hard for me and I can't do it as much as anyone else? Like, what do I do? Like, has anyone ever thought that? I've done that. Like, I've been there. Here's the answer to this start. <laughs> just start. And there's moments where, like, as a mature Christian, you feel like, well, this is really difficult. This is a struggle. What do I do? You start. You're new to your faith. What do I do? You start. You just do it. You just. You, you keep just going at it. There's days that I'm back into the beginning stages of training for my next marathon. And it's amazing how in January when I'm at the, kind of the peak of my training, running 26 miles, not so hard. When it's September and I'm getting back into training and I'm running five miles, I'm like, this is really hard today. What's the difference between 26 miles, uh, 26.2 miles in January and five miles in September? The summer I don't run as much. And I, spirit, or I physically get out of shape from that ability to run and how my legs feel, how my lungs are working. But as I start doing that physical work, it all kicks back very quickly. Spiritually the same thing when you're like, well, I've, I've fallen off. I don't know what to do. Start. Just start. Get back in it. That Jesus doesn't say where you pray or how you pray or with whom you pray. It's when you pray. So Start. That he tells us to praise God. He tells us to pray for God's will to be done. He tells us to pray for our physical and our spiritual needs. That he tells us to pray for protection from temptation. And as you spend time in the word and you spend time praying, all of a sudden your vocabulary skills begin to grow in your prayer life. You're like, well, that person can pray fancier than me. It's not about the prayer, it's about the heart. I remember when I was on staff at Northville Christian, it was within my first like, year of being there. We had our staff meetings, and an uh, individual, his name is Mike Savant. He was our, our bookkeeper there, like phenomenally smart and intelligent man that he does the devotional for that day, and he's using all these like big words, and I'm like, Mike, like, you are so much smarter than me. And then I was called on to pray afterwards, and I'm like, Dear Jesus, help us to do what Mike said. Like, I remember just that feeling of, like, my words are so inadequate right now after hearing this. Like, why couldn't Mike do the devotion and do the prayer? Because you're asking the youth pastor that's so much younger and so much less mature to get up and, or, and, and pray after this. But it's not about the words. It's about the heart. It's about the process. Because you can't get to where someone else has gotten Simply because you're like, oh, I'm a Christian now, so let me just skip all these steps. No, Mike went through the spiritual workout to get to where he was. And even though I was a pastor and I loved Jesus and I studied, I hadn't done as much life. I hadn't done as much spiritual um, workout as, as Mike did simply because Mike was just further in his journey. So it's not about your magic words or anything. It's all about just your heart of how you pray and how you seek after God. Don't let other people's better prayers stop you from ever praying out loud because remember, can I just even encourage you with all this? There's moments where like some prayers need to stay unspoken simply because of the details. The the details aren't ready to be shared. But this is just my attitude. Like, When I hear someone say unspoken for a prayer request, it feels like you've just removed my ability to speak into your situation. And I'm not, because hear this, there's moments where you're like, hey, I can't share the details on this, but I need you to pray this general topic. But there's moments where you're saying unspoken, it's because I'm speaking, I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone here, so just take this for what it is, that you're not sharing the detail because you're ashamed of what the details are, so you're not allowing me the ability to speak life into you, to speak truth into you, to speak the word of God into your situation because you don't want your situation known. When there's moments where that, that needs to be shared, speak it because now all of a sudden the people around you can come and speak the word into it and as we speak the word into it, then the Holy Spirit goes into action and then things change. But if we don't speak things into existence, just like God spoke and created everything, that Jesus said and did what the Father told him to do, and all of a sudden people are healed and people are set free and everything's changing, then how are we expecting that to happen today? And let me even go a step further, because in a moment we're we're almost done with the message and we're gonna go right back into worship. We talked about it last week with the Holy Spirit, and I hit on it a little bit, and I want to encourage you because I knew that I was setting up more time for worship at the end of this service. If you've never experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I think one of the reasons that stops people from experiencing it and experiencing speaking in tongues is simply because you're afraid to speak it. You can't speak in tongues if you won't speak out loud. I mean, it's just common sense. Imagine going back to when you were a child and you're learning to speak your first words Imagine if we walked up to a, like a, a two-year-old, and they're getting ready to say mama for the first time. We say, just think mama. Don't actually say it. Think mama. And that can be your first word. No, it can't. Unless you actually speak it out loud, it can't be your word. And so as we pray, and you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just begin speaking and praising God, and if it comes out, it comes out. Great but we want to be able to speak things into existence. So when we look at the topic of prayer for a spirit-filled disciple, here's what I want it to look like for our church, for our preschool students. I want them to know that prayer is talking and listening to God, and I do not want it to be a weird thing for them. I want it to be something that they just do. Have your kids, have your grandkids pray around the table. Don't let it always be mom or dad that's praying. Make them pray. Encourage them to pray. Help them to pray. If they feel like they're always praying the same thing, maybe talk about it and say, well, what if we pray about this the next time? Give them things to help them grow so it becomes normal for them. Pray at bedtime with them. Pray over them and have them pray. That believe that God answers prayer. We want them to believe that God answers prayer and that they will pray for other people. Our elementary school kids, we want them to become disciples that begin to develop a daily habit of prayer and to learn about fasting. We want them to be disciples that enjoy talking to God, that it's not a pain to talk to God, but they enjoy talking to God, listening to God and telling God how they feel and what they need and expecting him to move. I think too many of us as adults just say, you know what, I'm gonna pray, but it's not gonna really make a difference. Why don't we expect God to move in situations? I think part of it's because we're afraid that if God moves in, God's gonna challenge us and it's gonna become difficult for us. So it's easier to stay right where we are just inside of heaven's gates but not actively trying to rescue anybody else or saying you know what i want to go to heaven one day but i don't want to be like all out christian here why wouldn't you want to be if you want to go to heaven one day realize the fact that we're going to spend eternity worshiping the king of kings and lord of lords and the author of the universe that's what the future is that's what heaven is so why don't we want to start that process now that we want them to enjoy talking to God, listening to God, and telling God how they feel. That we want disciples to take the initiative to pray for others when they learn of a need and learn to pray out loud in group settings. Let me encourage you with this. If you're not willing to pray out loud in a group setting, how can we expect our kids to do it either? So when you come on Thursday night to our prayer and fasting day and that night of praying, don't be afraid to pray out loud. When you come to the altar in a few moments, don't be afraid to pray out loud because we are lifting the name high of the king of kings. You're not going to go to heaven to be silent. I mean, we look through Revelation. We see angels uh, praising and lifting the name of God and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're going to be loud in heaven. You're either going to have to get used, well, we're going to have perfect bodies, so we're not going to have to worry about our ears. You know, like, this is a little bit too loud. I don't really care if it's too loud when we get to heaven. Here, yeah, I get it. You're... When we get to our youth, though, what do we want our youth? We want disciples that learn to hear and obey God's voice, begin to distinguish his leading from their good ideas, and trust God when he answers. That's a big key component right there, that we learn to trust God when he answers, because a lot of times we get the answer, and like, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Let me go and ask my friend what they think about this. If you know God spoke, don't go asking for a second or third or fourth opinion. There is no better opinion than God's opinion. If you go to a second opinion, you're like, well, did God really say that? Well, I wonder who said in the book of Genesis, did God really say that? It might have been Satan. I, mean, I don't know. And how did that turn out for Eve? disciples that understand their partnership with God in intercessory prayer and begin to understand spiritual warfare continuing to trust God for salvation healing reconciliation and understanding that God brings or that Christ brings victory like hear that like we want our students to exist here i want our teenagers to know you know what something's wrong this isn't the way it's supposed to be let's go to prayer Let's, let's believe that God can do something. Let's believe that Christ can bring the victory. But in order for our students to believe that, we need to be adults that also equally believe that. We need to be disciple, or they need to be disciples that begin to experience times of solitude in God's presence and regularly engage in corporate prayer for God's mission to go forward. Disciples learn to manage their emotions by bringing all their feelings and needs to God. When we look at our current society and the younger generations they take all their feelings and issues to other people. Why? Because the Gen X and older stopped on a regular basis taking their feelings and needs to God. And what is allowed by the older generations will be embraced by younger generations. So if we want to see see something change for these younger generations, it's time for the older generations to do that which they're supposed to do to set the model and the example so that when they see these younger generations struggling with this, they're like, here, let me show you and share with you my testimony of how God got me through that situation and being good examples for that. And that we want our youth to be disciples that learn to walk in forgiveness, enjoying God's mercy and offering it to others. So then we get to adults. We want our adults, we want you to be disciples that learn to hear and obey God's word, are able to discern his leading from their good ideas and trust God when he answers. So we gotta do that very same thing if we want our youth to be able to do it. Disciples partner with God in intercessory prayer and spiritual warfare, trusting him for salvation, deliverance, healing, reconciliation for all, and affirm that Christ brings victory over all opposing forces of evil. Disciples enjoy solitude in God's presence and regularly engage in corporate prayer for God's mission to go forward. Disciples manage their emotions by bringing all their feelings and needs to God. Disciples walk in forgiveness, enjoying God's mercy and offering it to others. If you notice the difference between youth and adults there, it's really the fact that youth are learning to do it, and adults are already doing it. So if you feel like today, like, well, I'm, I'm struggling with that, then grow. It's time to grow. It's time to, it's time to take a step of faith. Worship team, if you can come forward. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning, and we have built this, like I said, we have plenty of time. We're we going to spend some time in worship. I want to give a little bit of direction, and then the worship team is just going to lead us in worship again this, this morning. The altar space is going to be completely free, completely open for you to come and just spend time in God's presence. I don't know what your situation is. No one in this room is going to uh, say, well, that person, they must have everything messed up because I'm about to lay just the biggest slate of possibilities that if you're in here and you've never accepted Christ before, come to the altar this morning and simply say, Jesus, would you be Lord of my life? Would you forgive me of anything that I've ever done wrong? If you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit of saying, you know what, I've never been filled with the Spirit, I want to not just hear about being a Spirit-led disciple, I want to be a spirit led disciple. And I need the Holy Spirit present. I want that initial evidence of speaking in tongues that we began talking about last week. In just a few more weeks, we're going to dive even more in depth on that topic. And I want that gift of speaking in tongues because I want to operate in everything that God has for me come up to the altar and begin just praying and seeking God. If there's someone in your family that needs healing or you need healing, come to the altar and pray and expect that God's gonna show up and do something. If you need peace about a situation, come up and say, God, I need peace in this. Would you do something? If you need to be able to forgive somebody, come up to the altar and say, God, would you help me forgive the way you forgave me? Whatever it is that you need to be set free of this morning, come up here. If you've got sin that's bondage, that's holding you down, come up to the altar. If you're dealing with anxiety that you just can't break come up to the altar whatever it is this morning there is time to spend with God in prayer this morning we sing it earlier with the idea of uh, there is a cloud that God wants to just pour down but so often like he he, uh, spoke through that word of just that umbrella you're putting up an umbrella to block it because you'd rather stay where you are throw down the umbrella and embrace everything that God wants to pour out into your life It's going to probably challenge you. It's probably going to change you a little bit. It's going to change the way you have to interact with people. But it's completely worth it when we follow in what God has for us. So this morning, I'm just going to invite you to stand as we worship. You can sit if you want to, if you want to come up to the altars. Whatever it is that you need to do today, go ahead and do it. And let's just lift the name of Jesus Christ on high. Let's be spirit-filled disciples that will worship in total freedom, that we're not going to pay attention to anyone else in this room. I want you focused on what God has to say and do in you in this moment. All right, let's worship.